welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending May 21st, 2022. This week, the dark side wins in streaming as advertising on the streaming services grows in popularity. I'm Kim Hollis, wondering how everyone celebrated National Streaming Day. This is a jip. I mean, I'm already subscribed to every single streaming service, so I get no discounts. (laughs) (laughs) I watched YouTube like literally everyone else, didn't you? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Also, Tim Bridey, writer and gamer, crazy from the heat. It it is currently 95 degrees outside. Oh, God, why is it so hot? (laughs) What the hell? Yeah. Also, David Mumpower, viral writer, media analyst, and someone who believes Kim will read anything I type here. F*** you, San Diego. That wasn't what it said. You broke up the thing. (laughs) And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who just can't stop watching Paramount+. Plus. I wish I knew how to quit you. (laughs) Have you started that Halo rewatch yet? (laughs) Hey, hey. Thursday was Halo Emancipation Day. I am done. (laughs) (laughs) This week was the Upfronts, an annual presentation held in New York City for advertisers where the networks show off their upcoming content. We'll cover some of the announcements most relevant to streaming here in our rapid fire. Among the headlines was the news that the XFL, which is owned and operated by Dwayne Johnson and his wife, Danny Garcia, has signed an exclusive distribution deal with Disney to put their games on ESPN, FX, and ABC. And when we say exclusive, what we probably mean is there were no other bidders, right? (laughs) Well, Dwayne Johnson does have a good relationship with Disney. So I imagine that they were amongst the first people on whose door he went knocking. He was the tooth fairy role. (laughs) (laughs) But he was also Maui in Moana. Look, they can say ESPN and ABC, but it's mostly going to be FX. Maybe the championship game plays on ABC, but they'll have to check those ratings first. Now that all the good original programming on FX is going to Hulu instead, they got to put something on that network at least until they sell it or shut it down. I get what they're trying here. I honestly do. And I think that this is exactly the type of deal that Raul, you in particular had speculated on, which is that any kind of live sports whatsoever is going to get a look. During the recent earnings call, Bob Chappick pointed out a number I was just telling Kim yesterday. 46 of the top 50 programs from the, the most recent year were live sports programs. That's how important it is to have this sort of thing. So this is something they got for, you know, pennies on the dollar. It's worth a shot. And it's a business model that absolutely can work if The Rock is able to do what everyone expects, which is set it up as a feeder program, a sort of minor league for the NFL. However, you know, Vince McMahon tried the same thing. And Tim, how would you describe the success of that? Um, Not great. (laughs) Which time? Uh, all, yes, all of them. <laughs> so let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, this is almost like we call them ego projects. We, we have The Rock here, who, by the way, it's important to remember, was a high-level college athlete. He was a starting defensive tackle at the University of Miami until his job got taken by a guy named Warren Sapp. So let's not discount the fact that he was a legitimate athlete, no matter what you think of professional wrestling. But 
his love of football might be causing blinders here in that he thinks that he can do something that has already failed twice already. And once something fails that many times, there's a running joke with Kim and I, there's a building here where so many restaurants have failed and yet they keep putting restaurants there. I think that I would raise the building and then maybe have a priest come and do some sort of thing to get out the evil spirits before I tried anything else. That's kind of where we're at with the XFL. Disney also showed off clips from their upcoming Disney Plus sequels, Disenchanted and Hocus Pocus 2. Disney isn't letting off the gas pedal here. They just need one movie like this every couple of months, and that'll keep that subscriber churn down. These movies may or may not have been hits in theaters, but on Disney Plus, they just continue to drive that subscriber growth. So yeah, sequels to movies that people fondly but vaguely remember from their childhood. Sure, that sounds like a good idea for them. Look, I think the Disenchanted sequel will do well. But Hocus Pocus 2 is coming out at the end of September. And I can tell you right now, we can look down into the future and say it is going to absolutely wreck the Nielsen charts. That is the type of thing that is going to be the hallmark of Disney Plus as we move forward. That is the type of project that is in wild demand. And they are not going to give it a theatrical release. Instead, they are going to make it one of the top priorities of Disney Plus for the second half of the year and is going to excel for that reason. And Kumail Nanjiani announced he's going to be starring in a Hulu series, Welcome to Chippendales, about Soman Steve Banerjee, the founder of the Male Exotic Dancers Nightclub. He, he may finally get to put those abs he worked on for the Eternals to good use. There you go. Good for him. <laughs> Mindy Kaling was there to promote her upcoming very adult take on the Scooby-Doo character Velma on HBO Max. The still from the animated show that he used was most definitely not safe for work. Mindy Kaling's Harley Quinn. Yeah, Yeah, uh, Kaling addressed the concerns of some people worried about the fact that she had turned Velma into a South Asian character. To quote Kaling, if people freak out about that, I don't care. And honestly, I am totally fine with that. Agreed. (laughs) As long as they don't make Scooby-Doo a cat, I'm fine. (laughs) Paramount announced their next Yellowstone prequel, 1932, would star Helen Mirren and Harrison Ford. Their other prequel, 6666, which refers to a ranch in West Texas and not the year, is moving from Paramount Plus to the Paramount Network. Paramount. (laughs) (laughs) Does anybody even know that there is a Paramount Network? No. 6666. It's the name of a ranch. I, I was kind of hoping it would be like a far futuristic just you I know, know, sequel. I was 66. I was so disappointed because they 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 just keep throwing out prequels. So give me something different. I really don't know the 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 reasoning behind this. Cable networks are dying, and I I totally understand that maybe it is their intention to prop up their cable network, but they really shouldn't be. They should be putting fresh original content on their streaming service because that's where the money is at. I mean, 
we do know the reason and the reason why it was the upfronts and the upfronts is all about linear television so they're saying yeah yes let's get a cheap pop hey good news screw streaming we are going to do something that works in nobody's best interest by putting this on the paramount network and you're going to watch it because it's kind of vaguely yellowstone-ish but it would have done a lot better on paramount plus and we know it but that's okay because all of our people who watch cbs also watch paramount which means you're super old and you can find it on your televisions now give us advertising money (laughs) cynical much there's no other takeaway the upfronts this year it felt like we had all gone to a funeral and everyone there was acting like the person was still alive that's what this was and the other thing i have to ask did they cast on 1932 based on people who were actually alive in 1932 (laughs) jeez it really was. What's a couple of old actors that our demographic will recognize? Helen Mirren and Harrison Ford. Sure. Okay. <laughs> and they're also two of the people who might know what Paramount Network is. <laughs> the day they put Tom Selleck in a Yellowstone series. Oh my God, the ratings. <laughs> Seriously, though, to a certain extent, this would kind of be the equivalent of Disney announcing that instead of Hocus Pocus 2 going on Disney Plus, it was going to go on ABC. Actually, the better example might even be FX since it's something obscure. This this is a step backward. It is a stubborn step backward just to show support for people who need to accept it's over and they need to move on. Finally, in what is probably the most surprising streaming news of the week, the set-top wars are heating up as Amazon's freebie is coming to the Apple TV device. Well, what set-top box you get is becoming increasingly moot. It's not keeping set-top manufacturers from trying to stay relevant. For instance, some of the most popular bargain smart TVs these days are from TCL, and you can now get their models with either Roku TV or Android TV installed. There's nothing more moot than that when you can buy a TV and choose which operating system you put on it. I've said it before, but it's worth repeating. Android TV is eating Roku's market share. In fact, this is impacting Roku on two fronts. First, Roku continues to seek opportunities to shift away from the hardware business and into the streaming services business. As we discussed last week, Roku is sniffing around stars to see if they can buy it. But secondly, there is some speculation that Netflix, if they want to do advertising right and change their current narrative, which is not a good narrative, there's a lot of Netflix is dying out there, even though let's be honest, it's not. If Netflix wants to change that narrative, they may want to buy their longtime buddy, Roku. We're all looking around and we're operating under the assumption the pandemic is over and people are debating what happened in 2019 and they're using it to project what will happen in 2024. And I don't know if that is the best approach here, but there is a lot of behavior right now that is kind of like, okay, let's pretend like the pandemic didn't happen. Can we go back to the way things were? I don't think it's going to be the right move, but this is the type of thing where we've got panic about Roku, we've got panic about Netflix, and... For whatever reason, people are trying to get a Roku light box that isn't Roku, and 
I mean, go with God, my child, if you want to throw away money like that. And I, I just think it's hysterical that we're trying to paint this as Amazon freebie being a positive to any TV device. Well, it's all about every set-top box having every app. And so the fact that Amazon has come to terms with Apple so they can put freebie on it just indicates that it doesn't matter anymore what set-top box it is. But then I do want to bring this back around to something we've been discussing recently, which is that Comcast Charter Co-Venture. As we've discussed before, Comcast is licensing their Flex platform, it's their operating system, to this co-venture. It is essentially a company that they are spinning off and creating as a separate entity. Of significance is the fact that they are offloading something called Zumo, X-U-M-O, onto that co-venture. And Zumo is a- Who names these things? Well, I had to to look it up, so now I know. Zumo We can watch Free Me on Zumo? What? Are these real words? Wait, wait, wait. I'm getting to a point here. So Zumo is a free ad-supported streaming service, what they're calling fast TV these days, free ad-supported streaming television. And uh, Comcast bought them a few years ago. I'm not going to take you down the whole path of how it is they came to own it. But the former president of advertising at Comcast has been installed as the head of this new co-venture. So that tells you a little bit about where they want to go with this streaming service, that a advertising head is now the president of this new company. Uh, But that's not what's significant. What's significant is that Comcast appears to be spinning off some of their streaming initiatives. They are dumping Zumo onto this separate company. They are shifting their set-top software onto this separate company. And David, what do we think this means for Comcast's other streaming entity, Peacock? So let's not just make it about Peacock. Let's make it a little bit broader. And that is, we're not ready to gloat yet, but something we predicted 18 months ago certainly seems like it is going to come to fruition. Comcast is investigating all the ways it can spin off or sell off NBC Universal. And we know this because it just came out that Comcast tried to merge NBC Universal with EA, the former Electronic Arts, the video game company. And you're going, wait, what? But there was a plan here, wasn't there, Raul? Well, Comcast has been dancing with Electronic Arts for a few years now, going back to about 2014, 2015, where they had partnered with Electronic Arts and tried to do game streaming in the same way that Stadia or Xbox Cloud is game streaming. At the time, the infrastructure just wasn't mature enough. Honestly, if you've partnered with Comcast and their Xfinity infrastructure isn't robust enough to do game streaming, you have to wonder about the reliability of Xfinity. But at the time, they came to the realization that, no, we can't do game streaming today. Now we're five or six years later on, and and Microsoft certainly thinks they can do it with Xbox Cloud. So Comcast has worked with EA in the past on some partnerships, so they are clearly on good terms. So it's no surprise that when Comcast is looking to determine what is their strategy moving forward, that they would be talking to companies like EA about options. And part of what's happening here is very simple, and that is Comcast knows that Peacock is a loser. It doesn't have a winning hand there, and it still has $97.9 billion in debt, and they want to get NBC Universal off of their charts. And that has 
far-reaching implications. I mean, if you love Universal Studios, and everyone should love Universal Studios, this could factor into what happens next at those theme parks. I mean, it is not just about Peacock and NBC, but it does reflect the fact that Comcast is trying to get its ledger sheet back under control, and it views that as a losing product. So Comcast came to EA with an idea, hey, everyone's talking metaverse. You know what would be great is if the video game people worked with the people who had all of this IP, like, I don't know, what if you wanted Manifest? to create some sort of thing. I mean, it is this sort of ridiculousness. I, I don't know how the ownership rights work. I don't actually know at this point what is in NBC Universal versus what isn't because it's gotten so messy. I mean, Universal Music Group is actually its own thing because it got spun off last year. And that would actually have been one of the crown jewels of this, but it's not even in that anymore. So it's messy, but it also reflects what we've been expecting, which is that Comcast is going to divorce NBC Universal as soon as it can, and they're looking for partners, but they're still going to be Comcast about it. And I say that because Comcast pitch, which Electronic Arts understandably rejected, was for Comcast to have all the power in the new organization while the EA CEO would become the CEO of this entity where they would have absolutely no power. And the person said, you know what? I don't want to be David Zasloff, so we're good. Thanks. It is, however, the type of idea that will be explored down the line because if you or somebody who believes in the power of IP, NBC Universal has a lot of it. And I mean a lot of it. So they do have appeal in the metaverse, despite the fact that they're not doing anything right with Peacock. But in the short term, this all but ensures Comcast doesn't care about Peacock. It's not invested in Peacock and it's going to get out as soon as it can. Yeah, AT&T has the prototype for this. They spun off Warner Brothers and then merged it with another company, in this case, Discovery. And Comcast is looking at that and saying, well, maybe we can do the same thing. Spin off NBC Universal and then merge that with another company. Maybe that company's Electronic Arts. Maybe it's somebody else. They may have a greater view of the, the value of their assets than they're actually worth. And maybe they need to suffer a little bit more pain before they come to the realization that they just need to bite the bullet and, and do that spinoff on more favorable terms to a buyer. But it will come to that. Comcast at this point, when you start hearing rumors about a company that is looking to sell off assets, eventually that becomes reality. People start coming, come knocking at the door in the same way where there were rumors that AT&T wanted to spin off Warner Brothers and David Zaslav and Discovery came knocking at their door. So as those rumors heat up, someone with the right bagfuls of money will come to Comcast's door and say, hey, that NBC Universal you've got there, we'll take it. Tim, I think it's time for you to take us into the ratings. Okay, so we have the Nielsen Streaming Ratings for Monday, April 18th to Sunday, April 24th. And again, a, another pretty quiet week, but let's see what we got. Uh, your originals list is once again led by Bridgerton. It was knocked out of the top spot last week, but it's back 734 million minutes. Okay, sure. We've said enough about it, I think, at this yeah. point. We have up and up to second Anatomy of a Scandal, 690 minutes for its six episode season. It's doing surprisingly well for something that I feel just is not getting that kind of buzz on social media. Yeah, I don't recall anyone talking about this one at all, nor the next one, thankfully, because I'm kind of worried that it's here. In third is the John Wayne Gacy tape, 684 million minutes for just three episodes. What is wrong with you? Baby? Yeah, they're going to keep making more of these so long as people keep watching them. I guess they will. It's going to be reality shows and 
serial killer documentaries. That's that's all Netflix in the future, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Why? So, listening to this, if you figure out a project that combines those two, you're going to be rich. <laughs> oh dear, that's what Squid Game was. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> that's fake roll the real thing that's where the money is be inventive i just came to that realization squid game is all about mass murder and reality competitions <laughs> there you go in slightly more pleasant news we have moon knight in fourth down with four episodes 630 million minutes so it's kind of found its plateau it looks like maybe you get a bump once towards the end as we've usually seen with the disney plus shows but this is still very good Hippo goddess, hippo goddess. Um, <laughs> seriously, we also just learned during a Disney presentation that Loki is the most watched thing they've ever had, which doesn't necessarily line up with the ratings we've no, seen. Not at all. But what's readily apparent here, and we've known this, there are huge blind spots in the Nielsen ratings. Mm-hmm. We're only catching a fraction of this, and I think it kind of reinforces the fact that many of the people who watch the MCU shows are second screening them, which we kind of suspected. I mean, we'd like to think that they're watching them on the best possible television, but it is a younger generation completely indoctrinated into it. That's just the way they consume media. So I think that this is one of those things where it's kind of hard to gauge anything about Moon Knight from these numbers because I don't think they're super accurate. I will say that I don't think it's a very good MCU product overall in totality from what I've watched. Kim, do you disagree? I liked it pretty well. That probably comes down to the fact that I really like Oscar Isaac and enjoy him immensely. I I will say, though, that Loki, for me, is my favorite of the Marvel series on Disney Plus thus far. So maybe that tracks. Yeah, we, we've said over and over again, this is very suspect data, but it's also more or less the only data we have. So it is still, uh, you know, interesting and fun to to talk about, but we know it's, it's missing uh, a, a lot. And Nielsen's extra- extrapolation is not the best. And again, they're only counting things watched on televisions and not on computers or mobile devices. Uh, in fifth was the show that was tops last week, The Ultimatum, Marry or Move On, 482 million minutes, Please Go Away. Uh, in sixth, a return of a show we've seen before, Selling Sunset, 385 million minutes for 44 episodes. The fifth season of this reality show dropped on April 22nd, so that's a three-day number for, for it. So we might see a bump for that next week. In seventh, the only other non-Netflix show besides Moon Knight, Outer Range. We saw that last week, 384 million minutes, eight episodes. Not to the height of some Amazon shows we've seen, but that that that's fine, right? Yeah, I'm no. just looking at how blah Netflix is right now. Once the Bridgerton heat kind of has slowed down, I, it has really had a disappointing month. And, you know, every week we talk about 10 to 15 new Netflix shows coming. They need to focus more on signal and less on noise to me. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of it is foreign content. And that, that's why we end up seeming to discuss a lot on what's what's new. But yeah, I, I do agree with you. They, they're they still going for quantity when they need to start looking at, at quality. Yeah, I was just going to say about outer range that Amazon doesn't have that many hit series. And I don't know that they necessarily expected that this show would do as well as it has. So they're probably very pleased with its performance here. Mm-hmm. Uh, eighth is a new show, Russian Doll, 308 million minutes watched for 15 episodes. Uh, this is the second season of the show, actually arrived on April 20th. That's that's actually a weird release date for Netflix. Usually they, they do put things out on Fridays, but not really a big 
ratings winner for a show that was pretty well acclaimed for its first season, which actually came in 2019. So it had been a while. This is one of the pandemic impacted shows where they seem to have a plan in place for what was, you know, a Groundhog Day type of premise. And then we've just seen this a lot. When you have more time to think about what you do, there's kind of analysis paralysis that creeps in. And the delays on top of the the decision making, I mean, the first season was very well received and the second one hasn't had that kind of appeal. So they just... Netflix actually quietly canceled several shows it had previously renewed at the start of the pandemic. And as we have gotten more information, I am convinced that was the right thing to do. And I feel like a couple of these like Russian Doll probably should have gotten the axe as well. Yeah, they haven't made an announcement yet about a third season. Apparently, they showrunners and writers claim they they have a ideas for a third one, but I don't know if that's going to be good enough for for Netflix anymore. And this is not a great week. We are definitely in the common floor storm. I do think next week we finally get the next half of Ozark's final season. So that should shake things up. But yeah, this is this is a very quiet period. Maybe people were actually watching other streaming services or just doing something else. Wrapping up originals, ninth is The Last Kingdom. We've seen that before, 278 million minutes. And Our Great National Parks, the documentary series narrated by Barack Obama, 218 million minutes for its four episodes. Over in movies, still led by Encanto, but, you know, a very normal number for movies, only 444 million minutes, turning red right behind it, 378. So not the, you know, a clearly nonstop repetitive replay for these movies that we were seeing initially, uh, but still still watched a lot. And I uh, I think we finally, finally, after all these months, have finally seen Encanto start to, to level off, but it's probably pretty much always going to be here. Looking ahead, I feel some some families are starting to spread the love around on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> the other thing I'll add here is Disney just went out of its way to say during a uh, Moffat Nathanson's presentation that they're bringing as much Encanto to the parks as they can as quickly as possible. They've already added like a, a weird little digital presentation they'll project on It's a Small World. So they have decided that Encanto is basically the next Frozen in terms of park presence. And that kind of tells you just how well it's done. But when I look at these numbers, what kind of jumps out? at me is there's only four titles here over 200 million minutes four so this is one of the weakest weeks we've ever tracked in nelson isn't it oh yeah def- uh, definitely for movies and yeah kind of over even over the entire chart it was not a great week for for streaming i guess you know it, it is hey the p- pandemic's over everyone that's i mean that's uh, the thing it's over Wall Street overreacted like crazy to the announcement that Netflix had lost subscriptions. And they also punished Disney for not making an earnings thing when Disney willingly gave a billion dollars for something, you know, streaming related. They've criticized for the wrong things. But when I look at these numbers and I see the deflation here, now I'm like, okay, this is where the panic should ensue because these are not great numbers. Yeah, just just overall, very, very, very surprising, very, very weak. I'm can't I can't really sugarcoat this 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 one with you know with any better news. It's just it's not great numbers, and and Netflix is looking for they're still looking for for hits. I I I'm 100 percent sure. I think we're a few weeks away from seeing it, but I think senior year may be a, a breakout for them. Uh, I've seen that pop up a lot, or at least they're pushing it hard enough. But yeah, this these are these are awful numbers for for movies, which, which is weaker to begin with compared to original series. But yeah, once we hit fifth, it's it's under 200. It's amazing. One of the new movies we do have this week is in third, White Hot: The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch. 200 
194 million minutes for the documentary, I guess, about the you know, clothing brand. Cleaner in fourth that we saw last week, 204 million minutes. Uh, then some Disney Plus content. And you can tell it's a it, it's it's been a bad week for movies because these were usually on the tail end of of, of the chart. Uh, at least there were more than one week where Encanto was the number one movie and Moana was the 10th movie. But here it is in fifth. Uh, it and Luca actually both came in with 150 million minutes. Haven't seen Luca on the chart for a while. So, yeah. It- it must be getting some promotion on the Disney Plus homepage. Or, you know, it's always kind of within 20 or 30 million minutes of this range. And it just so happened that this week it's good enough for sixth place. I do think yeah. it's worthy that Disney has four of the top six and they're all of a type. It's, you know, either Walt Disney Animation or Pixar titles. So, you know, this is the comfort food for people. Yeah, this is this is what I meant earlier about spreading the love around. Hope maybe mom and dad have decided, you know, that's enough with Encanto. Let's that's watch. Encanto. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd rather hear the Moana songs again. Uh, seventh, we have the Adam Project. That's been here a while. 138 million minutes right behind it. Okay. Now, this is how bad a week in movies it was, because this is a movie called How It Ends. 137 million minutes. Do you know what this is? No. I do, but that's because I have a huge crush on Cat Graham. Okay. Yes. This is actually a 2018 movie that was released by Netflix. Yes. A f- nearly four-year-old movie. And it stars a guy named Theo James, who at one point everyone thought was going to be the next big thing because he starred in a huge new Hunger Games type franchise called Divergent. And this seems like a good time to mention that they never (laughs) even finished Divergent. They never, no, they never, they, yeah, they, they never released that last, that last movie. I remember when Tim emailed me and he said, hey, did you hear they're not going to do the other Divergent movie? And I'm just looking at it like, what? Because they had announced it and everything like they had done legwork and they just finally said, nope, there's not enough money in this. No one cares about Divergent. You had a nominally, you know, mid-level teen literature franchise. The first movie did well enough. And hey, there were two more books in the series. So sure, we'll make those into movies too. And then they got greedy and said, saw what, you know, every other series was doing and said, you know, we're going to split the third book into two movies. And then the second one came out and nobody cared. And And I think by the last one, the star of Divergent broke up with Aaron Rodgers. That may be how (laughs) Yes. Not coincidentally, Theo James is now starring in The Time Traveler's Wife and telling anyone who will listen, hey, Andrew Garfield got a second act. What about me? (laughs) Yeah, I was uh, immediately said, this is one of the worst ideas. What are you doing? You are not Harry Potter. And they went and did it anyway. And and look what happened. There is like an entire graveyard of Harry Potter and Hunger Games wannabes. And people don't realize that list is more than 10 projects, not even a joke. Mm Mm-hmm. Ninth, something we saw last week, Choose or Die, 134 million minutes. And this is actually kind of interesting in 10th to wrap up movies and again, reflective of how weak uh, these numbers are. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog is in 10th with 127 million minutes. It's on Amazon, which is surprisingly en- uh, en- enough. Uh, and while it's been a couple weeks at this point from these these ratings, but yeah, there I mean, there was Sonic the Hedgehog 2 released earlier in April. So that clearly created interest in watching the original and people found it on Amazon Prime. And I'm sure if we had more than 10 movies, we probably would have seen it a week or two prior. But because this this number these numbers are so poor, here it is at 127 million minutes, which is good enough for 10th place. All right. So over in acquired, it is well. Actually, it's eight. I call it eight shows we've seen we've seen before. Uh, once again, led by Better Call Saul, eight hundred twenty-one million minutes, which is very solid. Uh, the anticipation for 
for this is also, you know, uh, trickled down to bringing Breaking Bad back to the list, 310 million, uh, million minutes in 10th place for its 62 episodes. Uh, the two new shows that we've not seen before, uh, seventh is Married at First Sight, another terrible reality series, 466 million minutes for its 50 episodes. Yeah, that was the thing that Netflix is actually ripping off with its other series. So it's funny that they have the rights to this and it created a halo effect. This is one of the ways that Netflix is really, really clever. Mm-hmm. And something else interesting in eighth, the Fairly Odd Parents, 415 million minutes watched for its 38 episodes. Why is this interesting, Ro? It's interesting because the new Fairly Odd Parents series premiered a couple of weeks before this chart on Paramount Plus. And so, again, I think what we're seeing here is that halo effect where people are looking for that new series, but they're looking for it on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so this, this is what they find. <laughs> so they're going ahead and watching old Fairly Odd Parents episodes, even though this is an animated series and this new one is what like live action yeah the new one is uh well <laughs> mixed live action and live action. right right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> okay yeah uh so yeah i think we're just waiting hoping that that this ozark number is something exciting to talk about next week but yeah pretty pretty lame week but yeah that's all for the ratings all right in our green lights and cancellations this week a reboot of the league of extraordinary gentlemen is in the works at 20th century studios for hulu sean connery just called and confirmed that he is retiring again just to avoid this nonsense (laughs) this was the project that made him think after 70 years he'd had enough it is legitimately one of my favorite bad movies ever because (laughs) It has really interesting characters who do absolutely nothing. And so I love its terribleness. I've watched it many times and it does not get better. But as far as background noise, you can kind of look up and go, oh, it's sad for everybody. And it works for me. (laughs) I guess he rose from the dead to retire again. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's a fantastic premise, as you would expect. uh, It is a great premise. The book is great. Yeah. Given given that it's based on uh, a comic book series written by... Alan Moore, it's going to be good. But unfortunately, what they did with it when they turned it into a movie was uh, somewhat of a debacle. It is essentially 19th century literary characters Mm -hmm. like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Alan Quartermain, Captain Nemo, bringing them all together as a kind of super team to fight uh, villains. So maybe it works better as a series on Hulu. Let's cross our fingers and hope that that's the case. Over at Netflix, the role of Francesca Bridgerton, a supporting character in the first two seasons of Bridgerton, has been recast with Hannah Dodd as the originator of the role, Ruby Stokes, is moving on to another Netflix series, Lockwood and Company. Yeah, not necessarily bad news for either actress. One of them happens to have landed a bigger role in a new series. So somebody else is stepping in. I believe they are increasing the profile of that character in season three. So everybody wins. Well, there you go. And the delightful UK teen romantic series Heartstopper has been renewed for a second season at Netflix. Yeah, you guys really enjoyed the trailer to this one. I I caught it as well. And yeah, the fact that it is just, you know, a romantic teen series without any kind of real heavy drama, I think it makes it a really winning premise. Over at HBO Max, they finally came to their senses and canceled the upcoming Wonder Twins movie. Yeah, but it's the why of it that's the better story, isn't it, Raul? 
It is indeed. David Zaslov has been grilling the uh, execs at his uh, Warner Brothers studios and asking them why <laughs> he's asking them things like, why did that movie bomb? And it's like, <laughs> well, we didn't intentionally make movies that bomb. But what this comes down to is why are we spending so much money on a movie that we are intentionally putting on streaming rather than in theaters? And in this case, the Wonder Twins movie was apparently budgeted at $75 million to spend $75 million and put that movie exclusively on a streaming service seems a little insane. Honestly, I mean, I'm all about how streaming is the future, but when you're spending that much money, you should at least be considering some kind of theatrical release for your movie, even if it's day and date. You look back at some of the decision-making, we did this. We went through the list of upcoming DC projects and and I had you all guess, oh, is that going to be in theaters or is that going to be in streaming? The fact that the DC Super Pets animated movie is going to theaters and Batgirl, which includes Michael Keaton returning as Batman, is going to streaming is insane. And David Zaslov, at least, has realized that maybe they need to be making a few less insane decisions. Yeah, but this also shows how little he understands the business. And I want to emphasize how very little. We just talked about with Disney, they have Disenchanted coming up. They have Hocus Pocus 2 coming up. And I'm here to tell you, those projects were not cheap. However, we said at the time, they're going to keep down the churn at Disney+. Plus. That's what people do. They invest in things because they know after we pay off the $75 million, we will continue earning on that project forever. Once it's paid off, everything after that, that's gravy. Meanwhile, Zaslov is running around, and I swear this is a real conversation taking place. He is asking about films from seven years ago and saying, why did you make that? He just doesn't understand how the creative process works. And he doesn't understand that you can have 10 projects that look absolutely identical on paper and nobody, and I mean, nobody can guess more than six of them correctly as which ones will do well and which ones don't. And in fact, if we go back and listen to the thing of what we projected, I would imagine many of our suggestions were incorrect. It is a very challenging business and that's why it's not for everyone, but you've got a money guy who has never worked in creative and has no feel for creative now. And this is exactly what we've lost when they got rid of Kyler. Now we have somebody who is completely in over their head. And so they spent the entirety of the upfront saying, I'm going to fix everything. And then he just went around with a hatchet and carved out everything. It's going to be bad. And the Bill Hader comedy drama, Barry, has been renewed for a fourth season. I'm optimistic about this. Uh, It is a very good series. Barry has received a lot of awards love over its first couple of seasons, but it does feel like they need to wrap it up and presumably it will end, although I'm speculating here, with this fourth season. Let's see where it goes. I mean, Dexter was supposed to end really early on too, wasn't it? So, you know. I I think that as long as the show is good, they probably are going to keep milking it. This ties back to the conversation we were just having with Zaslav. I agree with you from a storytelling perspective. I'm surprised they're able to get four seasons out of this. But from a business perspective, once something is an established brand, they really don't want to kill it. Well, you can't bring it back 10 years later until you've actually ended it first. (laughs) (laughs) 
at Apple TV Plus, Matt Shackman has been hired on to direct and executive produce the upcoming Godzilla and the Titans series. David, why is this exciting news? Hell yes. Hell yes. This is awesome because Matt Shackman is the person behind WandaVision. So we know we are talking about a profound talent here. And all he needs to do is have Godzilla wreck some stuff. And we are going to be very, very happy fans, aren't we, Kim? Oh, yeah. That's all we need is Godzilla just stomping. At Disney Plus, John Watts, who directed the three recent Tom Holland Spider-Man movies at Sony and just dropped out of directing an upcoming Fantastic Four movie, is still in good graces with the studio as he's on board to direct a new coming-of-age series set in the Star Wars universe for the streaming service. The series doesn't have a name yet and is being produced under the codename Grammar Rodeo. Knoxville, Knoxville. <laughs> they're, uh, they're looking to cast four children around uh, 11 to 12 years of age, and it's described as a galactic version of classic Amblin coming-of-age adventure films of the 1980s. Star Wars Goonies? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, all this comes out of a Vanity Fair article about the Disney Plus Star Wars projects. Uh, Vanity Fair got Kathleen Kennedy and the folks over at Disney Plus to divulge a lot uh, about their upcoming projects. They also talked about the upcoming High Republic Star Wars series, which is set, I believe, a thousand years before the current Star Wars trilogies. There's a lot going on over at Lucasfilm when it comes to Disney Plus. A lot of series in the works. It can't be certain that this coming of age adventure film is actually going to happen but this is one project that they're seriously looking at and the fact that john watts is working on it is not a bad thing and a reboot of the daredevil series is picking up steam as the writing producing duo behind the usa network series covert affairs have been brought on board to write the series about the masked hero from hell's kitchen we knew this was going to happen pretty much the instant that the cameo occurred in Spider-Man No Way Home. And then we also knew while watching Hawkeye when one of the villains from the Daredevil series appeared. This is a project that has been in the planning stages for some time. Uh, for obvious reasons, we haven't been able to talk about it. But Disney and Marvel revere the cast involved with Daredevil. They feel similarly about Jessica Jones, but for whatever reason, Daredevil is like the one perfect project for them for the cast. And you can tell how close-knit everyone has remained since then. This is probably going to be the most important Marvel project uh, that's on the docket because, like I say, they paid a billion dollars to get these rights back. So the Daredevil reboot, the Jessica Jones reboot, which is inevitable at this point, they need to get these right. As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the past week. And for me, it was Severance on Apple TV+. Plus. After watching the first couple episodes over a pair of Saturdays, I blew through the remainder of the first season and a few mornings over this past week. For those who don't know, the conceit of the show or the series is that people voluntarily say, I am going to be a completely different person at work than I am in my regular life and their memories of work are disconnected from their memories of life. So they're basically effectively two different people called their innie and their outie. And it is 
fascinating and gripping stuff. It has a really cool cast, including Christopher Walken and Patricia Arquette, who is fantastic in the role that she's in. Apple TV Plus is, for me, what Paramount Plus apparently is for Raul. So (laughs) I just keep finding shows from them that I love, and I strongly recommend this. There's a season two that will be coming, and I really can't wait for it. Raul, how about you? So let's talk Paramount Plus. My recommendation for the week is The Lost City on Paramount Plus, which is basically a Romancing the Stone remake. Really, it is. And I'm fine with that. It wasn't art, but it was fun with uh, Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum and a cameo from a few other actors that you may recognize. Really, uh, the fact that it was fun is more than I can say for a lot of what else I've been watching on Paramount Plus lately. What can I say about Halo? Yep, we're going to talk about Halo and I'm going to try to be succinct. It's not uh, the Halo show any Halo fan wanted. It uses some of the source material, but then takes it in a totally different direction. No Halo fan likes what they've done with it, much less what they've done with the main character, Master Chief. Does it stand on its own for anyone who is unfamiliar for the source material? No, because there's enough nods to the source material that it could cause confusion for those who don't know and are not familiar with that material. And as a standalone science fiction show, the acting is terrible. The writing is terrible. The world building is terrible. The special effects are terrible. There is nothing redeeming about this show. As it's already been renewed for a second season, I see three possible outcomes, unrenew it or start over from scratch in season two. Just say, here's a new brand new season one. Forget that other season one ever happened. Or if they've already shot that second season, dump it all immediately onto Paramount Plus and forget this ever happened. How do you screw up Halo? (sighs) I guess you take people who never played the game and they make a show out of it. (laughs) That is exactly what they did. Okay, Tim, how about you? Uh, So we talked about it on What's New that week, and it was the rare show where I had something to say about it. So I made sure to watch The G Word when it premiered on Netflix. It's hosted by Adam Conover, who had the show Adam Ruins Everything. And yes, as we suspected, this is very much a six-episode season that could be called Adam Ruins the Federal Government. Uh, It uses the same formula in a lot of ways with comedically exaggerated reenactments of things that, that, that happened or are happening. But Adam, who... Plays, actually plays himself rather than like the know-it-all version of himself that he did uh, on Adam Ruins Everything. Also does interviews with actual people, which wasn't really a thing on the original show. He talks to veterinarians who work for the FDA and walk around privately owned, uh, you know, meat, meat packing plants to to make sure you know everything is you know up up to snuff and we're not there's not tainted meat going out. Uh, you know, he gets to ride on a plane that's flying through a hurricane because all the weather data that we get is actually you know comes essentially comes from the government. He witnesses well a dry run really uh, they a practice of what the FDIC actually does, which was fascinating to me because I really had no idea. Uh, I mean, it may not all be new and groundbreaking to most people, but, you know, Adam and the writers do make it interesting and fun. It was interesting that among the executive producers are uh, Barack and Michelle Obama, and that is because it is loosely based on a Michael Lewis book that uh, called The Fifth Risk, which I was not, not aware of. So he acquired the rights to that show uh, or that book, and the show that came uh, result of it was essentially this, which is interesting. Obama is actually in it. Uh, at one point in the last episode, uh, he and Adam Conover uh, have a bit of a heart-to-heart about Adam's frustrations with the government because it 
it does go through while there are amazing things that the government has done, there's also a lot of failings. It does do an episode about disease and the pandemic. And while it does take a very direct shot at the last guy without exactly naming him, uh, it does mention failings of, you know, democratic administrations at, at one point, you know, reduction and outsourcing of various aspects that were once the government to the private sector, essentially, with, you know, mixed results. Uh, it was only six episodes and each runs about half hour. So it was actually pretty quick. If, if you didn't like Adam's Ruin Everything, you this won't change your mind. But if you did, yeah, give, give this one a shot. And David, how about you? I watched Halo. It made me sad. Goodbye. <laughs> I can confirm that for him. <laughs> I have never seen him more let down by anything in the entire time I've known David in like 20 years. Yeah. How do you not? Yeah. I have regrets about the various decisions involved creatively and that it would have been nice if there'd been Halo in my Halo. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week. <laughs>